0: You're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast. The quirky little podcast from Maine. And now, your host, Down East Mike. dee deed a dee We wish that intro would go on for a while so we could listen to it. and Just sing along with it. Good morning, everybody. This is Down East Mike of the world-famous Down East Mike Podcast. Well, actually, it's only famous in my mind. 98% of the time we're doing this podcast to entertain ourselves. And as long as we're rolling around on the floor laughing about it later, uh, then it's a worthwhile event. Are you new to the Down East Mike podcast? Welcome aboard. Bring a friend along or two. This is a double-ended dory that goes all over the map. It has no direction whatsoever. You can pull on the starboard side. You can pull on the port side it doesn't matter that dory still going to go in circles you ever been in a dory they're a lot of fun i had a friend that made one once it was it was like really deep and the reason a dory is deep is so you can fill it up with fish when you're out on the grand banks and it won't sink we're all over the map aren't we Good morning, this is Down East Mike, episode number 96, news and commentary for Tuesday, July 18th, 2023. Our motto is, some of this is whimsy, some of this is true, and the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. We look at the headlines of yesterday, the headlines of today, and reflection we find that things have not changed much at all. We also say... Did you know that the Down East Mike podcast contains no mean words? Just wholesome goodness from Down East Maine, a historical literary auditory candy store. Did you hear the bells in the door when you came in? That was a whole lot. We're all over the map. Today's episode, Record Rainfall in Maine. Not from today. That's a headline from 1984. We'll look at Women Looking Like Men in Skirts, a headline from 1984. Painkiller, slowing Tooth Loss, again from 1984. And we have the Mammal of the Moment and the Illness of the Instant. It's going to be a great podcast. Let's look at, if you're just getting up, nobody won that big uh, lottery there. There's up to a billion dollars. So if you do win it on Wednesday night, you'll have some spending cash and you'll be able to go out and buy the camp up north that you've always coveted. Uh, Ukraine aims to sap Russia's defenses as the US urges a decisive breakthrough. Nothing like pumping up the war there. Russia's accusation after bridge attack puts a spotlight on sea drones. Uh, What else do we have? Canadian wildfire smoke returns to the northeast with 137 million under air quality alerts across the U.S. and we saw that in the sky yesterday. It was just that kind of haze out there. The air felt a little bit thick. Uh, Let's see, lots of Russia in the news, not much else there. Biden invites Netanyahu to U.S. after months of stiffing the Israeli Prime Minister. That was a mean headline, wasn't it? Australian man and his dog Rescued by a Mexican tuna boat after drifting three months in the Pacific Ocean. They had before and after pictures of the guy and he definitely lost a lot of weight out there three months on a raw fish diet. Dog didn't look like he changed much. He had the same smile on his face before and after. Those are the world headlines, uh, Maine headlines. A New Hampshire man believed killed in a camper fire in Maine. Uh, what else for Maine? Uh, this is where Maine got the most rain last weekend. Well, we know we had five inches of rain inland. Tabitha King's western Maine orchard is quietly closed to the public. We don't want you picking apples there. And what else? Again, about the wildfire smoke in Maine. And uh, he's home now, the Mainer, who was killed at Pearl Harbors to be buried 82 years later a wedding ring was found on a maine beach in an unexpected place that's one of those teaser headlines not much else going on in maine it's the, the quiet season of of uh, of news so let's get to our podcast oh we have birthdays today don't we happy birthday today to phil falmouth he turns 68 years old he's a house painter and remarks that while the fumes haven't killed him, he still feels like they slow him down. Happy birthday, Phil. Happy birthday to Tyler of Madison. He's 65 today. He's a car salesman. He's got an answer for everything and said to be able to charm a starving dog off a meat wagon. Do we know Tyler? I think we do. Our illness of the instant. It's a rug scratchers scritch. Uh, rug scratchers scritch is something that you can develop if you're down on on the rug and you're trying to get all the the little cat hairs and dog hairs out of the rug. You can develop a scritch from that. And that it's a lingering scritch. It may show up as red spots in the back of your arm. Did you know by the way? that the the, uh, fleshy part of your arm, if you you can do this right now, you hold your arm out and you look underneath, and the part that hangs down is commonly referred to today as teachers meat. And teachers meat is like when the teacher, back when they had blackboards and the teacher would, and when, when kids could read what the teacher was writing, but what the teacher would write on the blackboard and the teachers meet with that fleshy part of the arm that kind of wiggles around as she writes the uh, words on the on the blackboard. All right, Rug Scratches Scritch. You can get it from digging at the rug, trying to clean it. with a. If you use a a cap brush, for example, and you're scritching along the, the rug to get all the hairs out. Uh, and then later you notice the red spots in the back of your arm. That's Rug Scratches Scritch. And it is treated uh, just with a, a little... Uh, 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 Benadryl or you can just put some, some uh, uh, hydrocortisone cream on there and that will alleviate it or better yet have somebody else deep clean your rugs for you. That's the illness of the instant on the Downey's Mike podcast. Let's go to our story. 1984 Reagan was talking about the ugly sinister walls of Soviet rule trapping millions. He spoke in these terms, that is very, uh, very invoking of, of emotion, portraying communist rule as a tyranny that puts itself above God. President Reagan said on Monday that the peoples of the Soviet bloc were taken captives by force and remain captives by force. He, he said they had ugly, sinister walls of the Soviet system continuing to deny for the millions trapped behind them the most basic yearnings of the human spirit. He signed a declaration pledging the United States to renew efforts to encourage freedom and national independence for those countries struggling to free themselves from communist ideology and totalitarian oppression. Boy, that's very speechy, wasn't it? It was a speech to an audience composed mostly of representatives of groups from Eastern Europe, Southeast Asia, and Cuba. Well, that was Reagan in 1984. And we had an article here, I don't know if it was editorial or news, but it was, the headline was, Dress for Success Uniform is on its way out. From the New York United Press International, women still must dress for success in the male-dominated corporate world but they don't have to look as if they all rolled off the same assembly line. The idea was summed up on the cover of a recent Ms. Magazine, which pictured a feminine hand dumping a three-piece blue suit with shirt and tie into a garbage can to illustrate a story titled, You Don't Have to Dress Like a Man for Success. That appears to be the consensus today, with a big exception from the man who wrote the book on the subject. The professional woman's uniform was outlined by John T. Molloy in his 1977 book Dress for Success. It included the man-tailored skirted suit in the same colors a man would wear with a white blouse with bow tie, plain stockings, pumps with closed toe and heel, an attache case with purse inside. Dresses were taboo. So was makeup, except for a little lipstick. Hair was to be of moderate length, not too short or too long, and definitely not frizzy. All that is changing, and professional women are starting to come out of the closet. In dresses, with open toe or open heel pumps, and wearing makeup, as long as they don't look obviously made up. The biggest holdout for the Malloy look is Molloy himself. Dressing for success hasn't changed much, he said. There are women who are fluffing out, and I say they're copping out. They are dressing for limited success. Malloy holds out for the suit, warns that any dresses had better be black or worn with a jacket, and said if the fashion industry talks women into wearing dresses, equality will take a step backwards. On the other side of the argument is Wendy Rue. She's the founder and president of the 100,000... National Association for Female Executives. I think it's important that women look well-groomed and they select the kind of clothing that best suits them and that they have a business-like look about them. Uh, Kind of goes on here, let's see. Uh, The bottom line is grooming. There's nothing that's more of a put-down to the position women have tried to achieve than to see women in an office looking like they just fell out of bed. She even disagrees with Malloy's band on frizzy hair. I don't think Frizzy is unacceptable. A very conservative mutual funds company I work with has a corporate vice president with a Frizzy hairdo, and she looks great. I thought that was interesting. Uh, also on this day, in 1984, live in-person Chubby Checker, Tuesday, July 24th, for two shows at Stacey's Brewer Hotel in the lounge. Doors open at 6 p.m., Join us at Z62 Broadcast Live, their oldie show from 6.30 to 9.30. How many times did you want to hear that Chubby Checker song? Let's twist again like you did last summer. Uh, tickets $8 in advance, 9.50 day of shows. Price includes both shows. Their tickets were available at Stacy's Brewer Hotel and the Video Center at the Broadway Shopping Center. Uh, I think it was right around that time that I saw Gary U.S. Bonds and uh, in a picture I can never get out of my mind, he had his shirt off. Oh, Lord, that was really something, and that was up in Nova Scotia. Okay, police patrol out of Eastport. Police uh, uh, investigating a weekend burglary at a storage shed at the city cemetery. Someone forced open a door on the building. They took three gasoline cans and 10 gallons of gas. That's almost, that'd be a crime today too, wouldn't it? Police reported that $60 in damage was done to a hose used to alert employees of patrons at the Exxon gas station on Washington Street in Eastport. Someone cut the hose sometime Friday. Now who hasn't sat outside the gas station open bay enjoying a coca-cola on a hot summer day next to their bicycle and listened to the sound of a car rolling across that hose ding ding summoning out the attendant to pump gas. Who has not heard that sound? Police arrested Herbert Saka Basin of Peter Dana Point at 9.30 p.m. Sunday for operating a vehicle while under the influence of intoxicating liquor, Soccer Basin to appear in Callis Court on July 30th, way back 1984, Mr. Saka Basin, driving well, drunk. Um, what else do we have here for local news? An employee of Dead River Company, Reported Sunday that someone attempted to enter the lower Barker Street office through an air conditioner screen causing about twenty dollars damage. I bet that was someone in the lower office that it wasn't cold enough and they wanted to get a new air conditioner and they did it themselves. Uh, David Wright of Dig Degouche, New Brunswick, was arrested at twelve twelve AM Monday by Lieutenant Richard Mayo for operating a motor vehicle while under the influence of intoxicating liquor. He's going to be in court July 30th along with Mr. Soccer Basin. At the Main Coast Cinema on this day, 1984, Steven Spielberg's Gremlins was playing at 7 and 9 p.m. They're described as cute, clever, mischievous, intelligent, and dangerous and also Karate Kid was playing on this day, 1984. We had our rainy day headline. uh, If the sun does not come out tomorrow, it will have a severe effect on central Maine dairy farms. The record-setting rainfall in May and June has ruined a large percentage of the forage that dairy farmers depend upon for high production of milk. The ground is so wet that tractors and mowers can't negotiate the fields. Uh, Harold Leland, the director of Somerset County Agricultural Stabilization and Conservation Service said, they will remember this year for a long time. When you see farmers haying on the knolls, you are seeing hard times. To get the greatest food value from the hay, it should be cut and stored in the middle of June when it's green and ripe as the grass matures the nutritive nutritive value decreases. You know what I'm trying to say, it's early yet. Eric Walter of Madison, who has 72 milking cows, said about half of the 13,000 bales he has harvested is of low quality. Do you think he dips his finger in the pail and tastes it and see if it's quality? He normally cuts and bales more than 30,000 bales of hay. Because uh, his equipment can't move on many of the fields he's had to change some of his ratios. He usually chops haylage for 100 loads this year because of the wet conditions. He figures he might double or triple that amount. He prefers the dry hay as forage for his cows, but feels he has to salvage something to be turning it to haylage. As a person, I can't imagine how much hay I'd have to eat to feel full. It's no wonder they chew that cud and have a bunch of different chambered stomachs. Painkiller could slow tooth loss was our other headline from 1984. It comes from the Associated Press out of Boston. They were still working at that time too. A powerful form of a newly approved over-the-counter painkiller dramatically reduces one form of dental disease in animals. And researchers soon hope to learn if it will save people's teeth. Okay, this is 1984. See if you can guess what painkiller this is. An experiment begins this month to see if daily doses of the drug, called ibuprofen, can slow or stop periodontal disease, the number one dental problem of adulthood. This condition erodes the bone that supports the teeth and is a major cause of tooth loss. In the United States, an estimated 94 million people have periodontal disease and it is one of humanity's most common infections in the new study at the Harvard School of Dental Medicine volunteers will take a medicine called fluoroibuprofen Harvard uh, researchers already have found that the drug can reduce bone loss around the teeth by 66 percent in dogs which are often used to study periodontal disease fluoroibuprofen is a more potent version of ibuprofen which was approved in May for over-the-counter sales and has been used in prescription form since 1974 to treat arthritis, pain, and other problems. Of course, they don't know how it works, but they still want you to take it. Let's roll it all the way back to 1893. Uh, on this day, a 100-ton steam boiler was recently shipped from Bangor for a big sawmill in the process of construction at island falls in unloading it from the cars at kingman the railroad point nearest its destination it broke through the blocking and and sunk deep into a bog hole and it required about all the kingman horses and men to get it back on terra firma again sixteen horses took the juggernaut in tow for the island falls over 30 miles, and after tipping over three times in swamps and rivers, breaking through 11 bridges, and crushing in all all the culverts along the road it got there, 12 days from Bangor, in spite of the vigorous protests from every school district and road surveyor along the route. Down at Bucksport, however, where the Boyle in question has been doing service in a lumber mill, and where it was started on its journey, they think that the engineering town of the North must be of rather a primitive order, for they do say a man and a boy loaded the boiler on the cars at Buxport without any protuberation of soul. Isn't that something, a hundred-ton steam boiler? Uh, Historical characters in Dexter were Jerry and Amos Abbott, brothers from Andover, Mass., who were practically the pioneers of the woolen manufacturers of Maine. They were excellent Yankee counterparts of Dickens' famous pair, the Cherry Chir- Bull brothers. Although they had a large property held in partnership, each had, besides, a handsome private estate. And it is related of them that the only falling out they ever had was over a cow, which was a good one. It's each one declared the other one owned. They were made of tenacious stuff, both of them, and neither would budge a bit, although how they at last settled the difficulty is not recorded. Another queer freak of the same brothers was their division of an orchard. Like Jack Sprat and his wife, who between them ate both the fat and the lean, what one had a special liking for the other one didn't so they went through the orchard together taking trees here and there as pleased them each trying to give the other the best chance in the first pick and thus the orchard remained until they lived Uh, certain trees belonging to one of them and one belonging to the other Uh, let's see we're getting a little bit off track here let's do our story on the on the main woods. That was a story about them separating out the trees to the orchard. Some days in our walks in the Maine woods, we may come upon the wild ginger. I didn't know we had wild ginger in the woods in Maine. This is an odd and uninteresting wood plant with dwarfed flowers. There are two velvety round green leaves and between them close to the ground and sometimes partially buried beneath it on an extremely short stem, is a dark brown or maroon three padded flower. The flower never rises higher. Close to the ground, it buds, blooms, and withers, doomed never to rise higher. That's the wild ginger in the woods. Story about uh, the water lily magnolia. Uh, July brings in maturity and perfection the rose, the water lily, and the magnolia. What is there in nature or in art that can outrival the rose? What more beautiful, more fragrant, more universally admired? How exquisitely beautiful is the water lily. What a miracle is its growth. This guy goes on, doesn't he? How can such incomparable beauty and perfume and purity rise from the noisome black mud at the bottom of a pond? This flower, a universal favorite, is with us from the middle of June till the middle of October, but the flowers are larger and fairer and more fragrant in midsummer than later. One of the most precious things that summer brings is the spicy magnolia. Who can explain the freak of nature which allows this cream-tinted fugitive from the south to blossom in the Cape Ann woods and nowhere else in New England? Its pervasive fragrance reveals its hiding place in the swampy woods near the favorite summer resort that has taken its name. I think the author of that article spent a little bit too much time on his back in the mud there. a Story out of York Beach, this is 1893. There is a pretty little woman who daily takes a plunge in the surf at York Beach, Maine, who attracts all masculine eyes, and if truth be told, not a few pairs of eyes of the other sex. She is a perfect blonde with the merriest of blue eyes in her bathing suit is rather a surprise at this state old resort where long skirts and sleeves have always been considered the proper thing. It is of light blue serge, short as to skirt and cut, square-necked and sleeveless. Just above the left knee of her tightly fitting nose, hose is a narrow black garter Held by a clasp of cut steel ornamented with a large letter S in blue enamel. Apparently unconscious of the gaze of the strollers on the sands, she goes about her plunge in a businesslike way and is a fine swimmer. That's quite the picture they painted there. Uh, Francis Dana, one of the Passamaquoddy tribe of Indians, recently made a trip to Bar Harbor in a 13-foot canoe from East Machias in 16 hours. I hope Francis stayed close to shore. Uh, Rolling back to 1906, a story about a dog in Auburn. Was the dog mad? A big excitement in Auburn caused by a dog running down Denison Street. Great was the excitement among the good people of Denison Street in Auburn into the early hours of Monday evening. The news quickly spread that a mad dog was running amok. The animal was a 10 months old pup of the Boston Terrier breed and owned by Erwin I. Smith who lives at number 47 on Denison Street. For several days past he had been ailing more or less but of this Nothing was thought. He had contracted the habit of running away to play with other dogs and the children, and on Monday had been out longer than usual. Doubtless, the dog was overcome by the heat and his exertions, and about 8 o'clock he reached home, and he commenced to yell and act strangely. The animal was taken into the house, but his malady seemed to grow worse. The Smith family live in the upper tenement, But this did not prevent the dog from jumping through the window and screaming to the ground. The heavy fall seemed to increase his trouble, and then commenced the race for life or death. Yelling so that he could be heard for blocks away, the animal ran through the street and circled around the houses. He then started across Denison Street Bridge. When he reached Gamage Avenue, he turned and came back as swiftly as he went. All this time he was yelling pitifully and shaking his head. By this time the neighborhood was thoroughly aroused and the more timid ones took to cover. The Smith residence just in front of the new house of Henry Goss, you know that Goss house, and that gentleman at once offered his services to shoot the dog. At that stage of the game it was a risky proceeding as everyone supposed that it was a genuine case of the rabies. Although the dog was a family pet, the owners thought best that it be killed at once and with a loaded revolver, Mr. Goss went gunning for it. But this time the dog ran around nearly every house in that vicinity and was found in the rear of the Goss' house. And um, apparently it ended very badly for the dog. We won't read the details because they were quite gruesome back then. The question now is, was it a case of rabies this is to be doubted as the dog did not froth at the mouth nor offered to bite any person that he met these are symptoms that invariably are shown by a mad dog in this case they were absent he simply ran and yelled the chances are that something in the shape of an insect had gotten into his ear and was biting him possibly it was also it could have been a fit but still there was another possibility of approaching rabies Be that as it may, no other action could be taken but to kill the animal at once. Much sympathy felt for the Smith family, who were deeply attached to their pet, and to whom the whole incident gave deep distress. Well, let's roll on to happier things. Our mammal of the moment on the Down East Mike podcast is the muskrat, Ondatra Zibothicus Zibothicus. Uh, The little muskrat, he's found in wetlands with dense emergent vegetation with a preference for slow or still water. Muskrats build small lodges out of aquatic plants, under root balls, in streams and pond embankments and under docks. You got a picture of a little muskrat here. He looks like he's eating something. I can't quite see what it looks like a nut or something. Uh, their habitat in, in the wetlands with dense emergent vegetation, we said that, yep. Their diet is omni- it's an omnivore, e- eats cattails, reeds, rushes, and pond weeds, but also some mussels, insects, and crayfish. Now, I think a cattail would be one of those meals you'd never finish. You would just gnaw right a little bit. Uh, distinctive characteristics the muskrat's a small aquatic rodent one to two feet long sounds like you ought to run for for a political office in maine with glossy brown waterproof fur and a skinny rat-like tail that makes a v-shape when it swims they're fun to watch actually from a distance i don't really trust those little critters they're active all day throughout the year and the muskrat maintains water access routes through ice in winter and can stay underwater for up to 15 minutes. Now if you ever had a chance to watch a muskrat swimming underneath the ice, it is truly fascinating. You could see it go from one end to the other. Usually that ice is so thin you're not gonna wanna be walking on it, but if you're watching from shore, it is something to see. They have four to eight young born sometime in March and October. They had a little thing here. How to prevent or resolve conflicts with muskrats. I'm sure negotiations not part of it. Most damage from muskrats are from burrowing and digging that can weaken dikes and dams. Learn how to make your area less attractive to muskrats. Then they kind of recap what they're talking about. They're most active in the late afternoon and after dusk, but they're seen during daylight hours as well. We know that. They get their common name from the resemblance to stocky rats and from the musky odor that they produce with their scent glands. They're found throughout still or slow-moving waterways including marshes, beaver ponds, reservoirs, and marshy borders of lakes and rivers. Muskrats make a valuable contribution to aquatic communities. By harvesting plants for food and den sites, they create open water for ducks geese, shorebirds, and other wildlife. In addition, a variety of animals, including snakes, turtles, frogs, ducks, and geese, use muskrat lodges and platforms to rest and nest. Most damage from muskrats are from burrowing and digging that can weaken dikes and dams. To make areas uh, less attractive to muskrats, try to make the slopes gentle rather than steep. And then you can also contact your local wildlife biologist to discuss possible controlled burns to reduce vegetation that the muskrat relies on. It'd be fun to call your local wildlife biologist to discuss a possible controlled burns and be flicking a big fighter in the background just to tease them a little bit. So what do you think about a controlled burn to get rid of these muskrats, huh? Okay, let's look at... uh, the National Weather Service forecast for today, and then we're going to send you out the door to do something productive rather than listen to Down East Mike prattle on. Let's see, it'll be for today a slight chance of showers and a chance of showers and thunderstorms after 2 p.m. So you're good for the morning. Widespread haze from that still burning wood fires in Canada. Uh, widespread haze before 1 p.m. Areas of fog before 9 a.m., otherwise partly sunny. They just wiggle that sun in there. Uh, The winds will be light, uh, 5 to 10 miles per hour in the morning. For tonight, 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms mainly before 2 a.m. Some of the storms could produce gusty winds. There'll be patchy, dense fog. Why don't they just say we're going to get a little bit of everything? Looking at Wednesday, uh. Partly dent, uh, patchy dense fog before 8 a.m., otherwise, mostly sunny with a high near 83 light winds. Thursday's sunny as well, and then Friday, uh, scattered showers were back in that pattern. Again, seems like it's really hard to break out of it. Well, if you made it this far, you have completed episode 96 of the Down East Mike podcast. I completed it too. And until next time, this is Down East Mike. Wishing you and your loved ones a day that is full of grace, love, and kindness. We'll see you.
1: She took me home. Yeah, she took me home. She held my hand. over the trees that night She held me close Up the check, she said. Tomorrow.